So today uh, I'm talking with a very good friend of mine, Pastor Ramon Pierre. He's the lead pastor at Roosevelt Community Church in downtown Phoenix. He's also the author of a new book called uh, Dearly Beloved, and which talks about how God's love for the church helps shape our love for one another within the church. Uh, in this interview, Pastor Ramon uh, shares a little bit about his story uh, and some of the turmoil that entered into his church during 2015, 2016, and how that shaped them uh, as they entered into the season of 2020, and how that's even shaping them today as we walk towards the election of 2024, and also how those different experiences uh, shaped and reshaped his view of the church as a beloved community and a space in which people who are centered in Jesus uh, can approach one another with love, grace, and compassion, even though we might have different political convictions or cultural expressions or perspectives on really spicy culture war topics. So I think you're going to love this. I love Ramon, and I am really excited uh, for you to hear from him today. So Ramon, you, uh, around uh, the middle of the 2010s, uh, your congregation had this massive shift. Uh, tell us about your congregation and about that change that happened in the mid 2010s. Yeah, so um, our church was started in 2005, and uh, a value for our church from the from the jump has been uh, being a diverse church, being multi ethnic church, <laughs> and um, valuing diversity. Um, being, a, you know, we have a, a, a mission statement that says all people, to gauge all people with all of Jesus. Mm. So the idea behind that is that we're, um, and that so much of that is a reflection even just where we are in downtown Phoenix. Uh, it's one of the more diverse spaces in Phoenix. Phoenix tends to get more ethnically segregated, the east, west, north, south of downtown, but downtown seems to be a spot where a lot of people come together. And we thought it's really important that the church reflect that and as much as it's able to. And we've been blessed to, to do that. Uh, people, uh, many people said they came to our church. We were looking for a church and found our church, came to our church because of looking for a church that reflected that kind of diversity, that kind of what we call kingdom, uh, kingdom diversity, many people mm. would often call. Um, so that was, was always good. Um, but, you know, looking back, I, I realized, and maybe I just, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I mean, I think we always spoke about it and talked about it. But I realized there was probably too many ways for people to hold to that kind of diverse community in a superficial way, which is mm -hmm. to say that um, it feels cool to be sitting there at like a concert or even a McDonald's and look around, whoa, look at all these different types of people, right? That's not community, right? That's that's very much focused on, oh, I'm participating in this one thing. Community is something way deeper. It requires sort of intimate relationships and and working through the differences that come when you have different people coming together in an intimate, close relationship. And uh, what happened with us was uh, 2016, uh, the uh, election with uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump, I think emerged uh, within our church or showed within our church. So something that was, I think was always there. Uh, clearly, diverse church does mean difference, but it became really apparent that many people in our church didn't like uncovering that difference, being aware of that difference, even working through that difference hmm. uh, for the sake of uh, ongoing relationship. Uh, so, I mean, to, to lay it out, I mean, we, you know, years after 20, uh, 2016, I mean, I think maybe two thirds of the church left. Hmm. Um, and for, there's other things going on during that time period, um, but it was a mixture of things. Some people just didn't want to, uh, the Trump election, 
a church like ours uh, was was not uh, unanimous in terms of how people felt about that election. Right. And you know, we made a decision to say, you know, that there's any space that should be able to hold that tension and be able to work through it from a Christian perspective, like you know how people feel about that, what are biblical ways to think about any type of political season, it should be the church. Some people didn't want to engage in that. Uh, some people felt like, well, there's really only one right answer <laughs> to this. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and unless Ramon gives that right answer, uh, then I'm, I'm done. Some people just didn't like the feeling, the overall sort of sense of tension that was there. Um, and um, so a number of different things going on that I think led to what we, what we experienced. So I'm hearing you say that there were unspoken expectations within the congregation that Pastor Ramon is going to get on the stage and say something that aligns with my current political convictions. Uh, how did that happen? Like, how are you yeah. perceiving that? How are you understanding that that yeah. was there? I mean, if it was unspoken, how did you find out about yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's a, it's a mixture of, it's three different things. Um, okay. On one end, it was, yeah, Pastor Ramon will say things that align with my, like you said, political convictions. Um, particularly, and this is sort of, I think, uh, I mean, we, trend of what uh, Christian nationalism is now, a mm. sense of like confident uh, ferocity, like just, you know, the country is going to hell in a hell basket, that kind of thing. And like, mm-hmm. we have to stand for the gospel, that kind of almost aggressiveness that some people wanted that. Um, other people uh, wanted me just to say nothing. <laughs> um, just did it, you know, just to prefer like that, that I would not, um, uh, just sort of, yeah, just sort of take a, like a sit on the sidelines type of uh, uh, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sort of touch on the issues that were emerging in 2016. Um, so obviously issues related to race, uh, issues related to um, class. And I mean, there's a number of different things that were emerging in, the, in that election, I mean, in the wake of that election. And so that to not even sort of even uh, uh, create space to think through that. And I think the third thing then for some people was just, I mean, maybe similar, it's maybe similar to the first point was um, that at the very least, I would really knock down people who, sort of had views that they felt uh, didn't align with what uh, um, you know, gospel-believing Christians should believe. So and, right. and, and to really lay it out, I mean, that, that would sort of, because we had some number, in, that, in a church like ours, we had a number of people. Um, and and uh, for some people, it was like, yeah, there's no way you can sort of give an argument for why you don't like Trump and might vote Democrat, as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a number of people who said, you should, you need to shut that down. You need to like reprimand them and discipline them. And, you know, our posture was like, well, this is not, you know, I, I, to some degree, I, I came to a point where I began to realize, I think for some people, um, they almost wanted me, and would have been happy if I sort of made church membership contingent on um, how you approach an issue like that. Hmm. <laughs> that, uh, you know, if a church member even floated the idea that they lean the Democrat, um, for example, uh, that, that might be worthy of church discipline, right? Um, hmm. The people, not so many words sort of at least implied or, Sort of suggested, but like this is a serious thing, and you know, these leaders felt like this is that's not going to ever be uh, a stipulation of church membership. Sort of how how did you vote <laughs> that type yeah. of thing? Um, and then I think he asked sort of how I became aware of that. Um, yeah, I mean it was I mean so it was directly. <laughs> Some people set up meetings with me uh, to talk to me about it. Um, uh, other times it was indirect. They talked to other leaders in our church. And set up meetings and you're saying, I'm concerned about what Vermont is saying or um, what directions our church going, what's happening, mm-hmm, those, mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, and then, yeah, of course, there's sort of side conversations here that will trickle back to me as well. So you've got 
within the congregation, all of these uh, differing political convictions, postures towards um, culture warring issues. So abortion, immigration, uh, the election, uh, race, uh, police, and use of force. That was certainly a big one, continues to be. Uh, And these are, you know, prior to 2016, what I'm hearing you say is these are under the surface. And then something happens. You seem to be tethering it to the election of Donald Trump that seems to unveil or give permission for people to now take what was hushed at the kitchen table and now blast it on social media and sit down with the pastor and make demands. What do you think gave people that permission? What was it that caused the unveiling of that? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think that's a a complicated sociological question. (laughs) Um, You're a smart guy. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, so many different things sort of feed on each other. Um, I think certainly Trump is a polarizing figure. Uh, and so he's sort of a spark um, that uh, sort of allowed people to kind of say, well, yeah, we should, we could be aggressive like this as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's not the only, he's not, you know, so it would be wrong to say, well, he's, he's the reason. Um, I think um, it is true. I mean, our, our, our culture is becoming more secular uh, in many spaces traditional Christian belief isn't uh, held in the same sort of esteem that was in previous generations. And you, you've said this in a very helpful category, Caleb. Um, I'm assuming you, you talk about this in the book, in your book, Disarming Leviathan. <laughs> uh, very nice, yes. yes. Um, Coming 4th of July, 2024. <laughs> looking forward to it. Um, the, uh, the sort of category of fear, uh, mm-hmm. I think is, is a real, I think that's a real thing that I began to, I think that, that um, Led to, I think how you, I forgot how you framed the question, sort of what sort of brought this out in the way. And I think this increasing sense of we're under threat, something mm-hmm. has changed in our culture and in our world. Uh, it's going to threaten my family. They're going to come after my church and my beliefs and um, the response to people. And I think this is sort of the, the, the thing that I thought was there, but wasn't there was I thought the response would be, I mean, I think the response that we see from Jesus, right? That our, our calling is not to be some type of Christian army to fight against the infidels. It's to be a bright white witness of Jesus. Uh, in some cases, that means suffering and enduring, right? Not being mm. doormats, right? We're still standing for the gospel, but the idea isn't to sort of take over the world in response. Right. But that piece was missing, it seems like, for a lot of people. It was, we're under threat. Uh, we, we're, we're fearful. We're being, I feel persecuted. Uh, mm. And so, and the response, in fact, was instead, okay, we need to be aggressive in, in the same, uh, we need to be even more aggressive than they are out there. That right. my perception of the world. I think is uh, was it uh, Robert Jeffress? Is that his name? Uh, in mm-hmm. uh, I just read something this earlier this morning. He was talking about how like I want my president to be. Uh, this was back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Why he was uh, voting for Trump, supporting Trump. He said, "I want my president to be the meanest son of a gun out there." Yeah, and I just think that's just a striking statement. Like uh, yep. I want a mean, like tough, you know, almost ugly kind of guy. Like as a way to excuse, you know, the many ways in which Trump was not acting in Christ-like manner. <laughs> right. Um, and that's almost like, in the past, I thought that's a that's a bug, but no, that was a feature. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So how do you explain, you know, Christ loving Christians saying I'm okay with, you know, uh, this uh, a person who we would say is uh, does not yeah is, is just sort of aggressive non Christ like attitude yeah. and character. They, I think the, the excuse was well we need the, we're fighting for the gospel. <laughs> I can put mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think that the mixture of those sort of factors of what people are feeling in society, um, tensions, fears, sense of threat, um, then the, the 2016 election. And then I think yeah, Clinton is sort of a spark to that as well. They sort of, that became localized around Clinton. And then I do think social media technology, that's a whole other thing to talk about. Mm. Gives platform in a way that uh, was not there before. It allows you to find people who think like you do uh, and to align with them. And it allows extreme voices to have, um, to have way more of a sort of uh, space to say what they mm. want to say and be heard mm-hmm. in the way that wasn't there before. All those things sort of aligned, I think, in a, in a critical way. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Jeffers is reported to have said is he was asked by uh, journalist Tim Alberta, um, who just came out with a book, actually. And one of the things that Alberta was asking was in 2012, Jeffers was uh, against Romney being the candidate because he was Mormon. And then just four years later, He's not only okay with Trump, but he is full-throated support. And Alberta said, what changed in the four years? What, what changed in your mind that your convictions would change? And Jeffers is reported to have said, uh, we're under siege. Wow. And that speaks to, right? Mm. So in our churches, we watched, you know, 2012 was, you know, it, it's controversial. Every time a presidential election happens, it's controversial, but it wasn't on fire. Yeah. Four years later, everything's on fire. I mean, the combativeness, the anxiety, the things that people are saying to their to people they share communion with on social media is dehumanizing, uh, riddled with anxiety, caustic. And you uh, shepherded your congregation through that. Many of them chose to uh, redeploy to other congregations. Uh, now that you're on this side of it, what lessons have you learned and how has yeah. it impacted you and your church? Yeah. I mean, um, well, I, you know, I'm just, if I can add to that, some people redeploy to other churches. Other people are, I think are just, are drifting. And that, that's mm-hmm. one of the saddest things I've seen. I do think this type of um, expression of Christianity, this sort of, you know, this fundamentalist kind of Christian nationalist Christianity doesn't align people closely to Jesus uh, and uh, faithful church community. Those aligns people to a demographic that, Again, that leads to the really unfortunate things. Um, yeah, one other thing I would add too is just I, I do think um, what I what I realized was um, American Christianity. I would say say that American Christianity, um, for the most part, yeah, just has trouble living in exile. <laughs> um, yeah, has trouble. And yeah. I think as a Black Christian, I think I felt like you know I, we can help you here, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Uh, it's okay. It, there's there's history of like what it's like to sort of be in spaces where. Um, Christian values aren't being followed, obviously, during the Jim Crow era, and how you could still stand for truth, right, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not sort of be walked over, right, but also not sort of adopt a posture, the posture of the world. You know, yeah. Jesus talks about, you know, Jesus very specifically gives like this cultural analysis in Matthew twenty, right? Uh, we shouldn't the Gentiles of this world, the rulers of this world, lord it over others, mm-hmm. and exercise authority over others. It should not be so with you. There, in some ways, it, that can work to lord it over other people. Mm-hmm. It just calls us not not to do that. Um, so anyway, I, I th- in the wake of that, I think um, where we're at right now um, is uh, um, really in a space where uh, I think, well, really, where the, this sense of like, these are things we want to think about and talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obvious that we want to do that. Of course, we want to do that. I mean, there's a sadness here. I mean, there's, a, there's been a big sort of turnover in our church where I'm on the other side of it now where now people are coming and knowing that we are 
a community that is not going to run away from these kind of hard issues. That's one. And then two, we're a community that recognizes there's some tension here in these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But three, there's also like, there's some landing points here. I, I don't want to say it's just like a 50-50 thing. There's some things that are clearly wrong, right? And we're going to speak to that. But we recognize the tension now. Okay, how do we work out all those kind of things? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I it's, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier now, I would suppose. Um, <laughs> well, no, it is. It's a lot easier. Because, yeah, we have to go through this. Because, um, and now, I mean, those who are left and those who have come, it's sort of now really very much uh, accepted um, that uh, being in a diverse community does mean diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, right. And some uh, some issues that are, again, are we're not talking Apostle Creed type issues. Uh, but also not trying to sort of downplay like uh, that these are oh it doesn't matter like what you what you view uh, what your view is on these type of things. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the things I, I did say to people I, I preached a series called How to Vote in uh, 20, uh, 2020, right? Was that the yeah twenty twenty uh, and mm-hmm. and that was a way I think that was real helpful in framing sort of the kind of church we want to be, which is look there are certain values identity that should bind us all together, and then certain values we should all hold. And wherever you land on the political divide, uh, we should hold ourselves accountable to that. Yeah. And that does mean I think Christians will not be liked by either party. And so we should be, whether you're going to be a Christian and hang around with Democrats or Christian hanging around with Republicans, um, there's times where you should be like, yeah, I'm with this. Or other times, no, I'm not with this. And even though that does push you out of the circle, um, we need to be okay with that because we have a stronger identity. Uh, uh, and I think, I think those, those sort of values are not very much, um, understood i think and accepted and invited in, in our in our space which is which is really nice yeah yeah that's good yeah it seems like one of the things that you have done in your pastoral ministry and and i'm just thinking right now about uh, pastors or church leaders who might be listening to this and they haven't had their 2016 moment yet or they're mm-hmm. uh, you know in our congregation it was our 2020 moment um and they're looking down the barrel of 2024, wondering is this is this the season yeah. where we need to take a, a, a stronger we need to ha- carry a stronger voice and lead more strongly into some of these spaces? And so you've noticed, you know, it was very difficult for these things to unveil to be unveiled in the congregation. It was even more difficult to shepherd people through that because many chose not to go. Now you're on this side, and I'm hearing you say it's easier. Um, one of the things that I've watched you do is you're normalizing conflict as an aspect of discipleship. And I think as evangelical pastors, we've noticed that many in our field want to downplay or that the, the, the expectation is downplay conflict as if that's what unity is. Yeah. Uh, but what I hear you saying is unity is not conformity, but unity is we're unified in Christ. And then all of these differences underneath uh, that's discipleship. We'll figure it out together. And so yeah. it's not a threat. It's not, um, it doesn't make you evil. It's actually a gift that we get to give each other as our different perspectives. And leading with that up front so that when new folks come in, it's like, hey, do you want to play this game? We're playing the game of all the conversations that are vitriolic and combative in the world. Uh, we're going to do it practicing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do you guys want to do that? And I've watched as you have so wisely uh, and shrewdly and lovingly led Roosevelt to that kind of space where uh, this next election, I think you've said this to me, um, it's not as scary as a church leader because you've already been having the conversation. You've discipled your people. We know that it's going to be combative in the world, but not 
not in as much as it relates to us, this, this congregation or this fellowship of saints. Uh, and you've, you've written a book uh, called Dearly Beloved, How God's Love for His Church Deepens Our Love for Each Other. And I wonder, Vermone, how much of your experience leading up to, through, and on this side of 2016 and 2020 have shaped your understanding of the church, God's love for the church, and how that shapes us. Would you speak to that? Yeah. yeah um, there's a calling card from my ministries. I'm constantly thinking about community. How do you bring different people together? But not just that, how do you keep people together? Mm-hmm. And I had... I think I've, I've been pretty good at doing that. I know how to bring diverse peoples together. Um, but I've I become aware of just how hard it is to keep them together. The community is, is strong uh, in many ways, but also I think Christian community is inherently fragile. It always mm-hmm. needs upkeep. <laughs> it always mm-hmm. needs tending mm-hmm. to. And uh, in the wake of, of what happened in 2016, I think I, I really began to say, I, just, I, I want more language, more ways of thinking about what community is, what binds us together, what keeps us together. Um, and that really led me to say, well, in the end, we're talking about love, right? We're talking about how we love each other mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, as Christians. Um, that, that's ultimately uh, sort of the, the, the key to, I mean, what we call, uh, what King would call beloved community. Um, and yeah, I think that sense of, of being beloved to one another led to, to the book that really I began to say, what are the strongest ways the Bible talks about love? And certainly one of the strongest ways is uh, the beloved love of Christ mm. for his church, uh, beloved in the sense of uh, the Bible has this, this metaphor of Christ being um, the, the church, being the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, that we are sort of in a sense in a spiritual sense married to, to Jesus. Mm. Uh, and if you think about that, I mean, beloved love, that kind of marital love is one of the strongest expressions we have of love. And also what has within it to, to speak to what you talked about before has this category of like we're inherently connected but we're different, right? And in marriages, there's conflict and other things, but the marriage has creates the context and the environment by which you work that out and sort of lean in towards one another as long as it takes to work out what it is and even has space for tension where like this part of it, this is not working, but it's okay. Uh, marital love, beloved love has a sense of intimacy, uh, has a sense of delight in one another, cultivating delight and affection for one another. Uh, beloved love, marital love has presence to it that like a marriage works because you actually in regular conversation, you live with that person, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have a good marriage if you're not living with that person. <laughs> you can call that a, a separation or a divorce. So um, that's all the all those ways I which I've described love are ways in which the Lord has bonded himself and leaned in to love us as the church. Mm-hmm. I think the key for me was realizing this same love is a love we can tap into to love each other in the church, to draw us together with one another. And I say that to say not so much that like we as a church treat one another like we're married to each other. No, I mean, we're only really married to Jesus right, in that sense. But um, because we've been brought in by the love of Christ and because Christ is in us, his love, his beloved love is now within me. And I tap into that love as I look out to the other believers around me. It's a sense that like because of Christ is in me, I'm going to want to treat people like Jesus wanted to be treated. And how does Jesus want me to treat other Christians? Like a beloved bride. Hmm. Um uh, his Holy Spirit is in me. And so that means the love and the grace and the truth that I need in my life is not really self-generated within me. It's coming from the Lord in me hmm. and all those things. Um, and what, again, and what I said, one of, one of those things, all, of, all, all those things I just talked about um, are aspects of how Christ looks at the church that I can sort of draw from. Or I might say we're all swimming in the same pool. And hmm. so um, it's more recognizing, oh, wait a second, I've been drawn in by the beloved love of Jesus. It's surrounding me. 
it's that same beloved love I want to tap into as I look at others uh, who are next to me. Hmm. And so that's, that led to what, why I wrote the book. And um, in many respects, I think it was a way, I, one of the things I do believe is that sort of the right language for how I think of other people in the church um, and the right sort of way of constructing how I'm related to other people in church, how I connect to other people in church can do a lot to help me then when these things happen. So it's less that like, well, this other person is, you know, from this party or doesn't hold the quote unquote right position on this view, or I'm really uncomfortable with how they responded to this recent uh, events that happened in the world or in a nation. And so like they're, they're other than me, right? They're opposite. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. the enemy. That's the language our culture gives right, yes. for those type of situations. I want to say the language the Bible gives, I mean, if you're going to be a Christian, like if you don't want to be a Christian, then, then, <laughs> then yeah, go in that direction. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a Christian, you just, you don't have the, the, the privilege of sort of adopting that kind of language for other believers. Yeah. Bob would say this person is beloved to Jesus. <laughs> Um, they're part of the bride of Christ. You should see them that way and treat them that way and act towards them in that way. So that causes me to say, okay, I, I'm uncomfortable with these type of things, right? And the ways in which you're thinking and talking, but I have to lean in towards you because we're part of the same beloved bride hmm. and we're swimming in the same beloved love of Jesus. So again, that just gives us a lot then to, um, it just puts us in a different position as we begin to work these things out. Uh, and then I also think that that sort of language then does a lot to help us even before things happen. And mm-hmm. so if in the life of the church, we're re- regularly cultivating presence with one another, affection and delight for one another, um, intimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a category for intimate love in the, in the life of the church. Um, that does a lot then to help us when things happen. It, it becomes less like, oh, this person did this thing. I hate them. Um, similar to you know a spouse, a, a beloved spouse. It's more like, oh, I, this happened, but I, I've spent all these years cultivating love and intimacy and delight with this spouse. Um, I, we have, maybe in some cases where it's difficult, I have the ability to overlook it, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal. Uh, in other cases, it's like, okay, I have the ways, I have a sort of posture to not ignore things, right? So it's not sort of a traffic for abuse, right? Um, but to lead in with truth, but truth that sort of is willing to then unpack what it needs to be unpacked so that there can be, um, when there's true confession and repentance, reconciliation, uh, repair and reconciliation. Um, as I think it's just more of a way of, of saying uh, love is going to be key for how we have community and stay in community. And I think beloved love is one of the strongest ways of expressing that type of love uh, mm-hmm. and keeping that type of love uh, amongst us. In the uh, New Testament, you see frequently – uh, these conflicts that happen in the church. So uh, the book of Acts, you've got this thing in Acts chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul and some others are uh, debating with some leaders like James about uh, specifically cultural expression, right? In this case, circumcision, uh, food laws. And the question was, should we expect all the peoples of the world to behave like Jews, uh, to to Im- embody uh, the ethnic expression of Jewish brothers and sisters. And they had this huge debate, and they read the Bible together, and they argued about it. And then at the end, uh, James says this little line, which I love, uh, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit that we shouldn't force our uh, non-Jewish brothers and sisters uh, to do this, this, and this. But we would ask them to abstain from this, this, and this. And for those of you who are wondering what this, this, and this are, go read your Bible, Acts chapter 15. What I love about that is 
they're together. They have a disagreement, a huge disagreement, Vermont, you know this. There's a yeah. huge disagreement. And it was around the distance between ethnicities or uh, expressions of one's culture and being. And they seem to wrestle around with it and then come to the conclusion that because our ultimate allegiance is, is, is to Christ, and we see in scripture that Christ is for all the nations, that we shouldn't do this. And it seemed good. <laughs> I love that language uh, to us in the Holy Spirit. How, as we think about, as many of our listeners are in the context of a local church, where there's distance between us, our convictions, our ethnic identity and expression, and other uh, men and women in the beloved community, how might we, how might you coach us uh, to engage those differences? Let's just use, since we brought it up, the distance between my political convictions and your political convictions. How should we engage one another in the context of the beloved community? in ways that honor the Lord, but also uh, allow us to be open-hearted to one another and tell the truth. Yeah. You know, I do think it's important that we start uh, with the things that we have in common and, and let that ground then what we differ on before we engage in the difference. We tend to start with the difference. Mm. And so it's almost like, a, a, you know, I almost wish I Christians could you know, almost recite it as a mantra. Hey, our most important identity is that we're Christians. Are you a Christian? Yes. Am I a Christian? Yes. We believe in these things. Yes. Uh, Jesus rose, uh, died on the cross, rose on the third day. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. Like those type of things. That's what brought us together. That's what keeps us together. Um, that that is more important than how that gets expressed in different parties. And to the degree in which um, we begin to have uh, language and patterns and habits that makes the parties we're part of become more important than identity, then we're already off cue. Right. And so I always like to begin with, like, we all, we have this common identity. Then I sort of, after that, then there's some common values that like are non-negotiable for Christians. Right. Um, and so, uh, for example, people are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. uh, that immediately implies a degree of respect and dignity with how we treat human beings. Uh, and that's, that's true regardless of how sinful they are. Right. It doesn't mean they're going to sin, but they're created in the image of God. That's sort of one example. Um, the Bible doesn't give us uh, permission to traffic in, um, let's say, uh, well, like I said from Matthew 20, sort of overpowering, mm -hmm. uh, arrogant, prideful leadership. Uh, Bible points at stores of humility, a servant type of leadership. Mm -hmm. So when we think of leadership, how we talk about leadership, that should be hugely important value that we have to hold in common. So there's, there's others as well. Obviously, the, the importance of uh, grace, uh, the importance of justice, mm -hmm. uh, biblical justice. Um, and so I just say these are sort of common values that we need to hold out of our common identity. It's based on that, then we can sort of then engage on like our political differences. And so I like to say like, that's where we sort of hold ourselves to the fire. And I think we should rightfully so. Um, and so pick the issue, abortion, immigration, uh, healthcare, whatever it is. Um, what I want to force Christians to do is let's argue them based on the shared values that we have. Because that already puts us in a different posture. Well, I know, already know you care about people being in the image of God. Okay, yeah, so how does that play out in this particular position of this party, in this position of this party? And what we'll notice is complicated, right? But it's a way mm -hmm. of just saying mm -hmm. it allows us to then not excuse certain things. So I think the thing that's been troubling is, and I can use that one, it's an easy one to use, but it's a, probably one of the biggest ones, is I've been, it's been striking to me how many people sort of excuse certain behavior or language uh, that demeans uh, and degrades people. 
yeah, uh, and, and even and insults people and try to sort of cover up. Like, well, you got you know, again, we're under threat. We've got to be aggressive. Uh, the Bible uses strong language. I'm like, no, like that's not. There's a overwhelming value that overrides overrides all those things. People are made in the image of God. Period. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. We should want something good for them out of that. So I think what if what that does then is that when we have these differences, it allows us to then maybe move people in certain directions because they realize, oh my, I'm in this here. I hold to this party in this position, but it actually goes against our common value that we already agree on. People mm-hmm. made in the image of God, so I can't hold to that as much as I used to. Um, or on the other hand, um, it allows people to um, begin to realize, well. If um, people are made in the image of God, then that means uh, we must press then for this more expression of this or this particular outcome or those type of things. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and the other side too, it also means that when um, we recognize we're like, okay, we both hold these common values. We just differ on like the best way to manifest that value. It actually holds space for there to be disagreement, but disagreement not based on like you're the enemy, based on like, you actually hold the same value. You just think, okay, how do we make that? How, how do we practice this? So yeah. maybe a practical example, people might differ on school choice. I want them to differ based on shared biblical values as opposed to like, oh, uh, the Republicans believe this, so I'm against it, or the Democrats believe this, I'm against yeah. it. Yeah. No, like tie, and that, again, that helps you sort of um, evaluate your, the positions you hold and the things that you hold to. To what degree did they come out of? Um, a sense of sh- the shared Christian identity we have and the shared values that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows us to then just constantly assess that and then reassess those type of things. Um, so again, those are sort of at least categories that I've been using that I think uh, so far that have been helpful. So focusing or starting on our common identity. So we're both children of God. We're both made in the image of God. Our common convictions, maybe about who Christ is as our Savior, uh, common conviction about the posture of Christ, so fruit of the mm-hmm. Spirit, uh, maybe like First Corinthians thirteen, the the love chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, love is patient, love is kind. These are kind of the less about what we believe, but more about how we be with each other, mm-hmm. and we can both practice the fruit of the Spirit while we have this conversation about. Um, police brutality or use of authority or violence. We can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, We can practice patience and kindness with one another while we have a conversation about abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even as you're saying that, Ramon, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that's not going to happen, dude. Like (laughs) pie in the sky. You're a pastor. You're stuck in your office reading your Bible out here on these mean streets. uh, That's just not going to happen. What would you say to that? response yeah yeah i mean um <laughs> it sounds funny to say that then like i mean I, what kind of gospel do we have i mean I, it's almost what we're talking about is gospel truths and I, i've said this to a number of people are we really implying that our gospel is so weak and fragile that it can't um handle these type of issues and differences mm. that like it's so it's such a you know i mean that, that you got a different I don't, know, I don't know what expression of gospel people sort of trafficked into or, or stomached, but like gospel that emphasizes sort of a basic level of solidarity with one another, right? Because we're both in Christ and the posture of um, here's how this works out in, in practice. Um, I would say uh, it is one that can and does work. Um, and I would just say it's, it's, a, it's a matter of faith. Hmm. You really believe in the gospel of Jesus, but also it's a matter of like, we can also see in human history, 
how God has worked in miraculous ways, in miraculous ways. Um, arguably, a lot of the, the major innovations related to human dignity in life have come from Christians. <laughs> uh, now, some terrible things have come from Christians, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, sort of the fight back against that, I mean, those terrible expressions of Christians have not been the gospel. Um, right. But, you know, in, in our own history as Americans, you know, I was at the um, Civil uh, American uh, Af- History, the Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C. recently. Yeah. And the thing I, I, I was struck by going through that was, first of all, um, I tell people this all the time, it was worse than you think. Um, right. And some people were in, in, in terms of our history when it comes to race relations and particularly the treatment of black people in this country. Um, and it, it just is not, and just to be clear, this is not debatable. It's just like reading primary documents, right? You see, you can see the pictures. Uh, you can read directly what people said and did mm-hmm. uh, to, to black people for most of the history of this country. And I know a lot and I still was like, whoa, this is, this is really bad. And it's so bad, like, honestly, it makes you think, I'm like, this, how, could, how, does, how could this change? This could never have changed. And yet, oh, it, I mean, not 100%, but a lot did change, right? Yeah. As Christian, I'm also holding the value of being hopeful and redemptive. And, and it, makes me, it made me realize when you sort of get to the part of the museum, the civil rights era and those kind of things, there, in a lot of ways, that should not have worked. Hmm. Given how embedded uh, racism and r- racial oppression was in this country, the hmm. fact that anything changed, um, hmm. Hmm. that hmm. you know, that we are in a state place now that was not true, you know, hundred plus years from uh, ago. Uh, I remember thinking, like, given how much you, I read of just how bad it was, and coming to the civil rights part of this section, yeah, and then the, the opposition against them, yeah, that, that should not have worked. Why did it work? It's what we're talking about when people say it doesn't, you know, you don't know what it's like in the mean streets. I'm sorry. It was, it's worse. <laughs> Whatever people say was oppression, what people think is oppression today, I don't think they've done enough to really appreciate just, you know, what kind of, what oppression looked like for black Christians, yeah. you know, in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, right? And yet they still held to um, a gospel of truth speaking, um, but also of, uh, you may say, a humble confidence and strength. Hmm. And, and basically, it continually to say, you're going to do this to us, but we're going to keep speaking the truth and call you to it. And that's yeah. interesting. What King, I think, what King did in a remarkable way was essentially, I mean, it just speaks to what we're talking about, basically called everyone to a sense of solidarity. Like, it was less like, you know, we need to replace the white people with black people. It's more like, white people, I invite you to solidarity with your black brothers and sisters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that we can all be one community. Yeah. Um, and he kept saying that, saying that, died for it. Uh, others kept saying it, kept saying it. Um, and things did change. Um, and so I do think it's a little bit like, it's almost when people say that, well, you don't know how it's like out there. It's almost like Israel is saying, well, you can't protect us in the wilderness. And God is like, I just took you out of slavery in Egypt. Hmm. I brought you through a Red Sea. And you're still saying, I can't take care of you. I can't still be with you. Let's go. Um, it's, a, it's slanderous to the Lord, honestly. Um, and it's a disbelief in the power of what God could do. Now, to be clear, um, Christians will suffer, and some of us will suffer more than others. And so this isn't me saying, hey, by by following these gospel truths, right, that's what they really are, um, that it's going to be easy or that, like, you know, because I think that's, that's the other thing I think American Christians don't like. Um, American Christians want everything fast and now. Yeah. And so that's why every election is like, this is the most important election in <laughs> right. your, in your, in, yeah, in, yeah, in your yeah. life. I've heard that like dozens of times, right? Like it's going to be solved now. Um, as Christians, we have a perspective of generations, right? And so if it's not in my life, then in the next person's life. 
but eventually God will change, God will bring change and he will work. And he will bring change and work according to the pattern that he has set out for us. Hmm. It's not a pattern of this world. It's a pattern distinct from this world. It's the pattern that Jesus laid out when he was on this earth. Uh, one day Jesus is coming and he'll take care of things, but that's not our call. We basically watch Jesus do it. Yep. <laughs> our call is yep. to be witness yep. to the, the, way of the way of the Lord, even as we look forward to his return. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Uh, Ramon, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been so encouraging uh, to hear your story and just reminding us of that biblical truth and the power of Christ. Uh, where can people find you and your work? Yeah, so um, my my book, Dearly Beloved, uh, comes out from uh, with Moody Publishers on February 6th. And uh, it's uh, up on pre-order on Amazon right now, also Moody's website. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I encourage people to, to check it out. Uh, and I, you know, in many ways, I wrote the book to start the conversation on these kind of mm. things. So I, that's what I would hope is that people um, be willing to pick it up and at least begin to sort of have a conversation on what love in the church looks like. That's great. Ramon, thank you so much for being with us today, man. Yeah, thank you, man.